You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. Days of Future Past right around the corner, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to actually spend an episode prepping for it. There have been six movies thus far that are X-Men related between the X titles as well as two Wolverine movies, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of jump in and speak about those, and there are oh so many continuity problems, <laughs> and also touch on what in fact X-Men Days of Future Past is supposed to be. Not everybody will know the series that it's based on. We actually covered it in depth on an episode of Comic Book Informer, and I'll be making certain to link that in the show notes for folks who are interested in our thoughts on that little event that occurred. When I say little, I mean it wasn't that very long in terms of issues, not in terms of scope. When you look at what the story entails, it's actually quite phenomenal what was done in the comic book. And we are going to be seeing that in this series. Now, we've seen a mess of trailers for this. Some have been quite a bit better than others. And what we've already seen with the other X titles is that there are certain limitations that, well, Fox doesn't always get. And that's why we wind up having a lot of problems. Now, that's not to say that the comic book series isn't without its problems either or its continuity issues. It is rife with them. But you would expect with a series that only comprises of thus far six movies that they would have been able to get their shit together and not have so many issues. Now, what we're also going to be doing is both Vince and I are going to be going to see Days of Future Pass as soon as it comes out. And so we're going to be having the next episode on that. It will be full of spoilers. We're going to discuss it at length, whatever we liked about it. It's going to be one of those instances where our opinions won't have had time to change either over time when you get to see something a couple of times and pick up little things that you might have missed at the theater. But still, it'll be fun to do. So again, I thought as a two-parter, why not do the first part on X-Men, which came out in 2000. X2, X-Men United, came out in 2003. X-Men The Last Stand, the one that everybody wants to pretend does not exist, that came out in 2006. Then we have X-Men Origins Wolverine 2009, X-Men First Class 2011, and The Wolverine 2013. Now, the rights for X-Men were picked up from Marvel. Originally, they were picked up actually by a, a company called Coralco Pictures, and that was in the 80s. They actually had James Cameron set up to produce the movie. Now, Coralco went bankrupt, and that's when the rights were available, and 20th Century Fox picked them up and proceeded to... <laughs> butcher them to all end. Now, we say that, I say that, everybody says that, come on. But we do actually have some good here to discuss as well. 
case in point, the first X-Men title that came out in 2000 was actually fairly well received. Now, as an average, as I've said before, you know, you take the Rotten Tomato scores and the Metacritics with a grain of salt because it depends on who the reviewers are and whether you agree with them as well, too. But it doesn't take very many to really skew a score, whether higher or lower. So for the Rotten Tomato score for X-Men, we're looking at an 82% with an audience score of 83 the Metacritic, however, is quite a bit lower at 64%, and the audience score is 7.5 out of 10. Now, the first X-Men was directed by Brian Singer, and this is important. And, of course, the cast, most people know the cast of these. You've got Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Ian McClellan, uh, Femke Jensen, and a host of others, like Halle Berry, Anna Paquin. This was important for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which being that it kind of ushered in a new generation of superhero titles. Mm-hmm. Whereas we'd had the Superman titles beforehand and things like that, and some Batman titles. Although, even though the old Michael Keaton Batman t- movies were enjoyable in retrospect when you watch them again, you do kind of groan. As, as much <laughs> yeah. fun as they were at the time, you do kind of groan. Whereas this one really took itself seriously and because of the ip because it's x-men and for anybody who's actually read those x-men titles it's kind of important to take yourself seriously you lose all credibility if you don't yeah this was huge for me because i mean obviously i grew up reading the x-men comics and this movie came out i was still technically a teenager and i was just so excited to see you know my heroes in a movie you know, I, I was never really a big Superman guy, Batman. I was kind of take it or leave him. And so seeing them done on the screen and done, like you said, in a serious manner, we're not talking, you know, 90s Captain America movie here. They, they were portrayed as actual characters and actual people. It was really mind-blowing at the time. Well, the thing, too, is that when, when Superman flew around on screen, a lot of people did kind of – dismiss it and think, oh, this is just based on a kid's show or whatever. But because of the fact that it was Superman, that alone gave it a lot more credibility that it could get away with Christopher Reeves and tights. I don't think at the time they could have gotten away with something like this. Part of it being, of course, the, the CGI, but also the fact that the people who had grown up with this that had been kids when the X-Men were around and whatnot were adults now and more likely to accept this and and roll with it. And because of the caliber of the cast accents, notwithstanding (laughs) it was, it was so well done that, that the, the actors didn't let on how silly they felt popping out claws or pretending like they were reading people's minds and things like that. And you felt it. Like when you're looking at the opening scene with young Eric Magneto, when he's in the concentration camp, you're not thinking, oh, this is just going to be some silly superhero movie with men in tights. You're feeling for that kid in a very profound way. And you're believing it when he's 
making the fence bend towards him kind of thing. It's it's exceptionally well done. Now, I don't always agree with the casting choices that they made. And some of that is because of the fact that we did grow up with these comic books. Because, yeah, I've got a decade on you, but of course this has been going on a bloody long time, X-Men. So there was plenty of time to... For everyone, several different generations. That's been bugging me for over a decade now has always been Halle Berry is Storm. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Just because, like, and I don't know how much of it is her or how much of it was from direction, but, like, it just did not fit with, you know, what that character is supposed to be. Now, in retrospect, I'm able to look back a little more uh, objectively and realize a lot of it was just a bad script she was given, but she just never felt like you know that goddess type character that storm should be and i know Halle Berry's a great actress but for whatever reason that one character just was a huge disconnect for me and always has been well the thing too is that and here's where we get where they play loosey-goosey with the canon and whether or not they should be able to play loosey-goosey with the canon aurora storm was a goddess in africa so when you are reading the comic books, even though she grew up on the streets and things like that too. So she has the street smarts. She's also, she walks with her head held high. Storm doesn't slink around with her head held down. She is proud of who she is as a person. Now that comes across in some of it, especially the second X-Men where, you know, this is not a, we don't need a cure kind of thing, mm-hmm. but, but still the character was not well handled. And then of course the accent that she tried to do in the first one was so atrocious. It was unbelievable. But I mean, that's something that they've got throughout. I mean, we've got Anna Paquin who did Rogue, who has a Southern accent in the first one, but then kind of dropped it after that. We have <laughs> Colossus who's a Russian who never bothers with a Russian accent at all. Pyro's supposed to be Australian. Cambit, his Cajun accent oh my in, God. in Wolverine, kind of just starts to eventually every drop. <laughs> and then, of course, the biggest one for me, and for a lot of people too, is Ian McKellen as Magneto. Ian McKellen's an English actor, and he's supposed to be like have either a Polish or a German accent. And there's no trace of that whatsoever to make matters worse. When they cast Michael Fassbender for first class, well, he's Irish and the Irish accent, the the meaner he gets throughout the movie, the more that comes out. (laughs) So that's something that they've struggled with throughout. So I'm willing to forgive that just because it's Ian McKellen. And looking back at these films, you can really tell he was actually having a lot of fun with this role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were saying, actually, because that was around the same time as they were prepping for Lord of the Rings. And he'd been offered Gandalf and he really wanted to do it. So he worked with Singer so that they could be done with him early enough so that he could go and work on the Lord of the Rings in, uh, in New Zealand. So, I mean, it says a lot right there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 it's the same thing again with Patrick Stewart. I mean... Xavier's from Westchester. What's with the English accent? <laughs> I mean, well, when you become a professor, that's actually granted to you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, so there's casting aside, that's where you kind of have to let go some of the canon and accept that they're, they're going to change the characters to fit who they want them to be. 
And I'm all right with that. I, we, we've been through enough superhero movies as of late, some that are far superior than others, that, you know, I'm willing to let go the idea that I have of who a character is actually supposed to be and who they are going to be for this director, for this movie. The problem becomes when the studio so screws up those characters that they themselves have created <laughs> and the continuity that it doesn't make sense when you're watching. What's funny is that to prep for this, like you too, I went back and I've watched all of them again. And, and that's, that was hard because while X-Men one and two, I will freely watch again anytime. Mm -hmm. I have not seen it's a little sketchy after that. <laughs> I've not watched X3, The Last Stand, since it came out. Me neither. And then X-Men Origins I haven't watched since it came out. And First Class, the only reason I'd watched again was because my wife hadn't seen it. I'd watch it with my son, and my wife wanted to see it, so we sat down and watched it. And uh, and we talked about that one on the podcast, the Comic Book Informer podcast, too. There's, there's good and there's bad with that one, so you take and what you can from it. And then the Wolverine, well, that one I had just watched not that long ago. And quite frankly, I don't know that I would watch it again either. Mm -hmm. So went back and watched it. And what's funny is that I, again, I have that history with having read them. Now there's gaps where, when I wasn't reading comic books and, and of course, as you get older, there's gaps in memory and what you can remember what should be in, in, as, as it pertains to the comics and whatnot. But again, because I'm willing to let go and just, okay, I'm, I'm going to roll with whatever they want to establish it as their canon. But even my wife is sitting beside me saying, well, that doesn't make sense. In the other movie, they did this. <laughs> or hold on, yeah. what's happening? What about this? Does he, what's with the claws? Does he actually have the claws or not? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> And I'm going, you're perfectly all right to ask these questions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't have answers. <laughs> I can't tell you. I can tell you what it's supposed to be or what it is in the comic, but I can't tell you what they're trying to do here. Um, we're going to tackle different continuity issues as we go along, but let's actually just kind of go movie to movie here. The first one, like I said, 2000 came out, and the story there was very much... Magneto-driven, Magneto's bad. And that's important to note because much like the comic books, Magneto's hasn't always been bad. Case in point, as it stands now in the comic, well, he's both good and bad. Well, you know, I guess blowing up <laughs> a cop station makes yeah. you a bad guy. <laughs> so, but he tries to be good, put it that way. So, but he's always he, been a very... He has his own sense of morals. He, exactly, yeah. Way. Yeah, well, he's... He's complicated. <laughs> He's like an onion. He has layers. <laughs> so Magneto is bad in this one, and he wants to turn all humans into mutants, essentially. And he's devised this freaking toy, which that kills me, that they use this as a plot device. I, I still want to know the theoretical science. Yeah, really. I don't. There is none. Really, this is one of those. You, you're not just suspending disbelief. You are knocking it over the head with a hammer. Go to sleep. I won't need you for a week. So I'll be questioning this. So this spinning gyro that, that kills him, essentially, if he were to really use it to its extent. So he needs Rogue. Now, the character of Rogue, if, again, people who don't know um, the comic book characters, she can absorb 
any other mutant's abilities by touching their skin. So he's going to give her his power and force her to use this spinning gyro to transform everybody in the mutants. It creates this magnetic kind of feel that goes don't, off. Don't and, just stop there. Yeah. So anyway, so it, 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 again, here's where again it makes so little sense because she absorbs his metallic or his, his ability to control magnetism and metals and whatnot. And yet remains, nobody's controlling her brain. Once she's soaked up his ability to control and Magneto's passed out on the ground, having a power nap, what's stopping her from just stopping the gyro and just kind of saying, well, that was fun. <laughs> Here's a spike through the head, bastard. Gosh, thanks for the white streak on my head. <laughs> like they're, Because they're, comic books. Yeah. So it's a terrible plot device. Anyway, so so that's and it it introduces Wolverine to movies at that point too. So you get to see the 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 team that is already established because you get to meet Professor Xavier and then his team and you got Cyclops and Storm and and Jean Grey who they decided to make a doctor because Hank's not in that movie. And you have some of the kids that you would recognize from the comic books as well, like Shadow Cat and and uh, Iceman, who should be a lot older, but he's not because he was actually. I love how every movie has the generic Asian student that we just assume is Jubilee. Yeah, every really. Time. Well, she actually has the colors of Jubilee too, that. so you figure, yeah, that's <laughs> got. She's be in her. like every movie as a background character, but it's like a different person. Yeah, every yeah. Time. well, they do that with Shadow Cat too. I mean, you've got Anna Paquin and then you've got several other actresses that play her in other movies as well. And she doesn't really have much of a role until X3. And then she does quite a bit more. And that's when it's Ellen Page. So whereas in the comic book, she's fairly important. I mean, that's one of the ones too. My my wife was like, she can pass through walls. What's she going to do? <laughs> They're going out into battlefield. What she And saying, she can suck people into the ground and let them go. And she went, Oh, I could see how that'd be useful. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I really noticed looking back at this first movie now in retrospect is just how packed it is. I mean, it's only 90 minutes. All the rest of them stretch out over two hours. But man, this like as a rewatch, it's nonstop. Like there is nothing you can take out of this movie. It's just bam, 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 one thing after another. And like, I really respect that. Yeah. It isn't the, I thought that the DVD that came out actually had some extra footage but I could be wrong. I'm not 100% positive. But I, I, I thought I, Yeah, they, they released like a 1.5 version. Yeah. That was an extended edition, but I've never seen that. Yeah, that's the one that I own. So that's one that I've watched. But yeah, it, again, the movie has some very strong points and some fun things to watch as well. The, the special effects are very well done. The relationship between Magneto and Professor X has always been an interesting one in the comic books because they've actually known each other. And, and and have a lot of history together. Now, you get to see some of what they interpret that to be later on in first class. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But you really get a sense of that relationship in this movie. And I, I really liked how they handle that. And, of course, it's because you've got Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen 
And you could cast those two as anything, and, <laughs> and they would have great chemistry. Yeah, the chemistry bef- between them is amazing. And you, I mean, just as of late, they've been doing all of their photo bombing and their sh- their pictures from <laughs> around the world. I'm sure you've seen those, of course. So you get, like these guys are buddies. So put them on screen together, I, and you. Get, I love the people that assume it's just X Men canon and it's Xavier and Magneto. Yeah, really, yeah, I love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've set aside their differences look they're having fun <laughs> yeah. so and there's a lot of stuff here again that's good too um like wolverine 2 this is where they cast hugh jackman now hugh jackman at the time was pretty well unknown and he certainly wasn't the first choice for the movie either they there was a lot of other actors that they considered for this the studio this kills me the studio actually would have preferred either keanu reeves or gary sinise i can see gary sinise knocking <laughs> yeah, us out of the park that, yeah because he can do anything in my mind but keanu reeves is wolverine <laughs> <laughs> schnicked bub. it just wouldn't work it just wouldn't work <laughs> And they'd actually offered the role to Russell Crowe, but he actually, he asked for more money and they turned him down. So there's – Who's just like Russell Crowe but nobody knows him. Knows, yeah, <laughs> and taller. Like Hugh Jackman, Wolverine is – what is he, 5'1", five, 5'2"? Five, it varies, short. yeah, not yeah, very tall. He's very short but extremely wide. And they cast Hugh Jackman who's 6'2". They had to put the guy who plays Cyclops in platform shoes and stand on crates during certain scenes just so that he would be taller than Hugh Jackman. And I mean, it kills me too because there's images of this online that you can find. It shows how Wolverine has gotten more badass looking with every movie. Put a picture of Hugh Jackman for the first one and the latest Wolverine because he's kept working out since then. There's a freaking one of his veins... Someone joked it's a pipeline to Japan. <laughs> Christ. So he's not quite as buff in this, but he's still in pretty damn good shape. Yeah, I, I would not hate myself if I looked like that. Let's yeah, that really. Way. Yeah. Um, and then the, the script actually really worked on the script quite a bit. It, one of the early scripts was a, a draft written by Joss Whedon, and they turned it down because apparently it was too quote unquote quick witted with pop culture references. I don't go on like really? <laughs> you should have kept it. Okay, seriously. <laughs> um but anyways there's a lot in this movie that was that was fun. Some of the effects were exceptionally well done. And and even watching them now with yeah. what special effects we have now it was actually some of the special effects in this were better than what we've seen in later movies. <laughs> so later X-Men movies. And one thing you really notice watching all of them back to back to back to back to back is Magneto is absolutely awesome in every yeah. single movie. Like with the effects and like, like if there's one thing they nailed in this franchise, it's just making Magneto awesome. Even what we've seen in Days of Future Past with him levitating a football stadium. <laughs> Well, when you see him in Last Stand levitating the the bridge yeah. in San Francisco so that he can get to the factory. And granted, that couldn't happen because it's a suspension bridge Shh. and it would collapse. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's like when they're on the bridge and it's daylight and the bridge <laughs> falls to the ground 100 feet Old Magneto, being the badass that he is, just floats down. Screw the rest of the bar brotherhood. You guys, before it hits the ground, jump. That's what you guys have got to do. <laughs> and then walk off the bridge, and it's nighttime. 
And there was another one where my wife kind of stopped me and went, it was daytime. Two seconds ago, it was daytime. They actually talk about that on the commentary saying they're hoping that nobody would notice that. (laughs) (laughs) They're hoping that people were so into the movie at the time that they wouldn't notice or care. (laughs) Yeah, we picked up on that. Nobody was into the movie by that point, but we'll Uh, come back to that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to X2. Now, this one here, Rotten Tomato score, we're looking at 87. Again, quite good. Audience score, 84. Still very good. Metacritic is against low at 68% with an audience score, though, of 8.2 out of 10. So you're seeing that this one is generally very well favored. And there's a lot that is good to it. Now, this is, there's a failed pre- attack on the president and from Nightcrawler, who is brought in. He wasn't in the first one. Nightcrawler is... A fan favorite, without a doubt. And it forces the... Also happens to be a Roger and Vince favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Forces the X-Men to track him down, get to the bottom of what is happening. And this is where they, we see more of Stryker, who is actually in the first one. He might have like a little role, but nothing really important. Yeah, I think it was just, oh, General Stryker. Yeah. yeah, Okay. So Stryker here has a, a prominent role and he's the one that's trying to annihilate the all of the mutants so the there's a lot this is like the first one like you're saying there's a lot going on here that is making you question and this is something the the x-men have always done it makes you question which side is right and by that i mean not humans but rather the Professor X team, which has always been about trying to harmoniously live alongside humans and Magneto's brotherhood, which has been, they don't want us. Now, when you find out that, again, he was a Jew in the time of Hitler and he saw the persecutions that are the same kind of things that are happening now to mutants. And that's one of the things we've talked about on the Comic Book Informer podcast, how it struck on so many of those themes. And, and when done properly, it does it really, really well. And this is the same kind of thing where you're seeing the fear that humans have against mutants and how there are times when you're seeing what's being done that you're thinking – you know, Magneto might have it right. Seriously, we don't deserve to live. <laughs> they should just wipe us out. And this There's one does that, that very, very well. Yeah, it, it, the, like I said, the one thing they've gotten right also, you know, Magneto being awesome, but also Magneto's character. And like I, said, I, I have undying love for Ian McKellen and everything he did portraying that because it's not a very easy thing to do to be the villain, but to be right. Like, you know, look at like, you know, how we've seen Dr. Doom, who has a lot of that same air about him. Obviously, he's a little less uh, justified than Magneto is, but, you know, it's a hard character to get across. And not only that, but in this one, he also plays the victim because Stryker is using a compound that he secretes from his son, who is a mutant as well. That's where it gets kind of complicated. And his son has kind of powers of illusion. And so he uses this secretion on mutants to get them to bend to his will and do whatever he wants. And so you get to then see Magneto, not just as this powerful character, which again, in the, in the comic book, here's another character that always walks with his head held high and who's always proud of who he is. And so we see that with McKellen, even though McKellen is 
let's be honest, here's, this is an old man. He does not bow to anyone. And so when you see those moments where he is the victim and turned into something else, he does it so bloody well and convincingly that you're in. It's, again, the, the performances in here, I mean, Hugh Jackman is still Wolverine. And with every movie, he perfects the character. And he, he said himself he's not always going to be able to play him because unlike Wolverine, he's aging. Listen, so, another, another 15, 20 years, we can get a proper old man Logan movie. Yeah, that is, oh, dude, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> but the other thing with Hugh Jackman is that like, more so than most of the other characters, you really – you really have to take the ser- the character seriously, which is hard to do with Wolverine because he's such a goofball of a character to play. Let's be honest. As much as I like reading the character and whatnot, he's still such a freaking goofball. And yet Jackman portrays him with confidence. Like he has confidence in the character that, yeah, this is it. And so you got to respect that. And then Patrick Stewart, of course, Ian McKellen, um, the Femme Jensen, has played, I feel, even though they've butchered the character of Jean Grey, especially in the X3, she still does a good job of portraying the vulnerability that's in the character because there is a lot of that. I don't like the duality of how they handle the Phoenix, but I mean, it would have been a pretty complicated thing to speak of mythical alien space birds. (laughs) So, okay, I can get around just... Working it into this. But again, that's X3. We'll get to that later. Um, and then Halle Berry had dropped the accent by there. Then she didn't have as strong a role in this one. So again, not too much. Same with uh, Rogue. Kind of just tagging along for a lot of it. But I mean, Alan Cumming, who did Nightcrawler, did a damn fine job. Yeah. And initially looking at him, you'd think, yeah, I don't know. And he's not quite as dashing or handsome as Nightcrawler is kind of thing. But man, did he ever pull off the character really interestingly. Yeah, I'm perfectly willing to accept this version of Nightcrawler. (laughs) Yeah, and with the scars that he put on himself, which we don't see in... Okay, I've never seen in any comic book adaptation because he's, he's furry. He doesn't have just blue skin with scars on him. Again, unless it's ever been done, do you know? I think that might have been somewhere in the Ultimate right? X Men, okay. but I, I don't. It, it's not, it, I don't even remember. It, I've read all the Ultimate ones, and that doesn't ring a bell. Okay, uh, but I'm old, and I take medication, <laughs> and I drink <laughs> to excess. Um, so, but no, I don't remember ever reading it. But that, that that's the thing. I I dug it when they did it, then it worked, and it was like, okay, this is really freaking cool. So again, this one here, you have a, a fairly Good movie, good script, not without its faults, not without its problems. And once again, here you have a, a, a large, hold on, was she in the first one? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, obviously Mystique was in the first one too. Mm-hmm. So Mystique plays a very large role yeah. in the second one again. Yeah, she was, you know, largely, you know, just like a henchman in the first movie. But here and then even in the third film, like I actually really enjoyed uh, Rebecca Romaine's performance as Mystique. Yeah, I thought she did a fantastic job as Mystique. Nothing against Jennifer Lawrence as Kid Mystique. It's a very different Mystique. But they're different characters. They're different yes. people. 
I yeah. mean, you you watch First Class, and they would have you believe that Charles Xavier and Mystique are best friends forever. And yet, when you watch X Men, especially X Two, she's putting poison in <laughs> Cerebro that's going to kill him. And it's like, I, I think she even cracks a smile. <laughs> you know. So yeah, not so much with the the continuity there. Uh, let's move on to X3. Now, again, this is the one that uh, is an abomination. Rotten Tomato score 58, which I think is too high. Audience score of 63, which I know is too high. Metacritic 58 again, and audience score of 6.1. So people are pretty much on board with those scores. I would honestly score this lower, and a large part of that is because... It's just a mess. (laughs) Not, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, it destroys the IP and craps all over the characters. It's like somebody, and see, this is the thing, too. The first two were done by Brian Singer, and this one here was directed by Brett Ratner. Now, it's as if Brett Ratner was only hired for one contract, one movie contract, and said, I am burning this motherfucker down when I'm done, and nobody else is going to be able to play with these toys after we're done. Not only that, Brett Ratner was the third director for this film. Yeah. yeah. Brian Singer left to go do, you know, he started on it, but then left to go do Superman. Fox didn't want to raid around, so they brought in Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn realized he couldn't make the movie he wanted to make in, like, the eight-month timeline that Fox had laid out by that point. So they brought in their their third choice and went, okay, you got, like, six months to make a movie. Here's your script. Have fun. <laughs> well, it's freaking terrible. Absolutely terrible. This, they, I mean, they kill off everybody. (laughs) In fairness, watching it again for the first time since it first came out, the first 20 or 30 minutes are actually pretty good. I, no, there was nothing about this that I liked. I, there was nothing that I liked watching this again. uh, Again, Magneto, but this, especially like the scene where they break out Juggernaut and Mystique and Mystique gets shot. And turns, you know, loses her mutant powers. Like, that is such a great scene. I just wish it could have been in a better movie. Yeah. Well, the thing, too, is that, like, her her color, her her coloring is, she was born that way. It's it's actually in her genes. So if she was, quote, Don't unquote, ask cured, yeah, it, she'd still stay blue. She just wouldn't be able to change into other people. Don't, but that's not in the movie continuity. Yeah. We never saw her as an infant. Anyway. So in this one, Jean Grey's back because she died presumably at the end of two. But as anybody who knows comic books knows, you're never really truly dead. So she comes back, but this time she Phoenix is in full force. And they, as I said, they implemented the Phoenix force as a dual personality. And the Phoenix is just when she is truly badass and really not controlled by Xavier. Now the control, the, we see from Xavier that actually some of that is in the comic books. He did kind of put some mental stuff in there so that she would never truly release and become the Phoenix force or too powerful. So I could get behind that. The dual personalities like, what's that? Yeah, no, I was just agreeing. Yeah. The dual personalities I had to kind of let go of again, it would be far too complicated to explain, explain the space firebird. So let's just go Um, with that. Okay, fine. But again, here's where, you know, good gene is a prude, bad gene is a slut. <laughs> that That's all you need to know. Yeah, that's that's all the characterization that we need for a movie. Yeah, that's so there's strike one right there. <laughs> and then they make it so that 
he they and she kills the highlight she kills cyclops for me that was like i was cheering you go girl (laughs) (laughs) off screen and uh and so then Basically, Wolverine and his team. This is, this is early stages of Wolverine and his peeps. That's what this is. Wolverine is leading a team that has to go and kill her. She winds up taking out Xavier, even. This is when you're like, oh, come on. Seriously, who else are you going to kill? And Magneto recruits her. And you always have that pivotal moment where it's, what have I done? Oh, shut up. That's uh, to me, that's where I hated too because again first two movies Magneto's oh, badass throughout never there were ju- so many cliches in this movie top to bottom oh yeah but that is a big one I mean we just got done talking about how how proud a character he is and then you get to this and it's like oh my god what have I done she's really is a bad person <laughs> seriously you just picking up on that now she might be a little dangerous it took all your little quote unquote pawns to wander around and do nothing she could have just lifted the island and turned it upside down and. Drowned everybody. <laughs> Seriously, come on, buddy. <laughs> and so, yeah. And the, the other thing with this too is there is a cure that is developed for the mutant gene, and there's a mutant that his power is to leech the ability. Well, leech is the wrong word, even though that's what they call him. He just creates a null zone around him. Very much like the character, the first character from the Zanth novels, which I'm quite certain that's where they stole the idea from. Well, there's Leech in the comics. Yeah, but again, that's, I believe, that you can call it inspired by, but point blank stolen from that idea, which was a lot earlier. Well, true. But anyway, <laughs> so. I'll accept that. They use I'm his, not saying the movie took its inspiration from there. Yeah, whatever. Um, so they are, they're offering this free cure to whoever wants it kind of thing. So it creates that dynamic where some people like rogue would like to be able to get rid of her ability. So Magneto won't be having none of that. And he's attacking the compound. He's going to put an end to this kid and yada, yada, yada. Again, this is wow. Oh, there were too many movies going on at once. If they had just picked a storyline, I'm sure they could have done something better because the the stuff a lot of the stuff they attempted to do with the cure there's a good story in there if they just you know screwed it up royally but I, the, the big issue here and it's where you get you know the trilogy curse in movies because it's the same thing we saw in Spider Man three with Venom is the Phoenix as like a character concept is so complicated and I'm not even getting into like the alien origin and whatnot that all of the impact from that story. You know, that was a payoff for dozens and dozens of issues of a comic book. So to compress that entire story of Gene coming back, Gene being the Phoenix, the Phoenix turning evil, and then the eventual sacrifice in one movie, it's, it, I think it's a failed experiment from the start. I, I think that, and going from what you're saying, had they done the movie just about the cure and left the Gene part completely out, leave it dead, Yes, we could have had a, a good movie. It, it, there, it would not have been without its faults either. But much like X1 and 2, we'd be willing to let go of some of that because the rest of the movie could have made up for it and been something that we could enjoy. But, but of course, they already teased the Phoenix, so they had no choice whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, so many things. You've got – and some of it is continuity in terms of just what they've already established with characters and whatnot. Some of it is, I mean, 
the, all of the X titles, if you look up continuity problems online, not just continuity in terms of like the movies and whatnot, but just how it's filmed, there are so many points where you're like, hold on a second. He just had holes in his shirt. His shirt is clean now. Like, I mean, there's scenes where Wolverine gets the spikes in his gut from the guy who throws spikes. And then he's got like them, the holes in his shirt for like one, all of one scene. And then the rest of the movie, the shirt's fine. There's no holes at all. Or, or the jacket that appears or disappears based on who the hell knows what. Or, or, or when, this is mutant power. Yeah. When he's going towards Gene. Everything gets burnt off except the pants. <laughs> Leave the pants <laughs> on. Her powers are all above the waist. That destructive power. <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch of different things. And then the the conceptual problems where, again, Magneto the, brings down the bridge. Again, bridge A would be destroyed. Suspension bridge. B, 100-foot drop. Everybody survives. Cars don't move. Cars are kind of thrown about willy-nilly, but then certain scenes, they're all back. And then you have the fact that he sends out his quote-unquote pawns, which he's... The other movies have established him as wanting to save and respect mutants and never to just kill them or whatever. And yet here, it's like, let them die. They're just pawns. Meanwhile, you got freaking Wolverine that he can control the claws ripping through these mutants as if they're paper and he just lets them do it. what the hell he'll get tired <laughs> that's, that's one thing i forgot until re-watching these like through the second and third movie wolverine kills a lot of guys oh, yeah. it's like just straight up murders people <laughs> And I, I remember when uh, the second movie came out and people were talking about his rampage in the mansion against the soldiers. And Brian Singer was like, oh, no, no, they're, they're not dead. You hear them groan when they're on the ground. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that just means he died an hour later from choking on his own blood. I I mean, that, agony. Those people are dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this is straight up. They, they, they may as well do the comical Team Fortress slicing where you see it looks like a ham <laughs> kind of thing flying. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, they're, they're dead is dead. So it's, there's a lot of problems with this. We're going to get into it as we go through all of them too, at the end, talk about some of the continuity problems. You'll see more of what I mean from there. We're looking at X-Men origins, Wolverine, this, by this point, even though three had been so poorly received, people were still excited about this. Because, of course, it was a standalone Wolverine. And not just that, but an origin story for him. So when you are looking at the how little information we got through the X titles about his origin, which is consistent with the comics, actually. Because, hell, they didn't even know what his freaking origin was. I don't think they still know what his origin is, let's be honest. So this was going to be something that was freaking awesome. Yeah. 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 Rotten no. Tomatoes score 38%, which I think is too high. <laughs> Audience score 60%, which they must have been drunk or real fans of Wolverine. Metacritic 40%, and again, audience 6.1 out of 10. This one was directed by Gavin Hood, and we've got Hugh Jackman. We've got, um, what's his name? Schreiber? What is Liev Schreiber, Schreiber yeah. as Victor Creed, who is his brother, who is Sabretooth, which we see in the other movies Shh. as a 
wolf-looking thing that doesn't remember who he is. Eh, it doesn't even have a line. Danny, has, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> we got Striker in this one, although also although he's quite a bit taller. <laughs> I can accept younger looking, but wow, you really didn't drive for casting at all with this. <laughs> We've got oh my god, Ryan Reynolds as Wade Wilson, Deadpool. No, I, that was actually. Pretty good casting. Yes, but what they do with the character, though? Well, <laughs> we'll no, get into but that. the casting was spot on. And then freaking Will I Am is in it. I had forgotten that. He's <laughs> so actually I, one of the better actors. Because yes, we've been watching, we watch The Voice a lot. <laughs> that he's one of the judges on the UK one, and now all of them, apparently. And uh, and he's funny as hell. And so I'm watching this, and I see the credit, and I see Will I Am, and I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> remember that. So in this one here, you get introduced to very young Logan. You get the story of how he discovered his power. Some of that is consistent with the origin story they tried to pass mm-hmm. <laughs> in the comic books. So you get the story from the Canadian wilderness in 1845. And I love how they have electric lighting. <laughs> Even though the first house to have electric lighting was in 1879. Yeah, really. It was freaking Canadians. We're smart. And you find out about the, who the father was that he kills him with his bone claws and yada, yada. And then him and his brother take off. And from that point on, they just go on a murderous rampage for centuries throughout all of the wars. The, the, The cinematic was interesting. It was it, a good montage. It was well enough done that you're seeing them through all of these, the world wars, the smaller wars. And they're just, if there's killing to be done, they're there. And you see how Victor Creed is becoming more and more feral. Whereas Logan is kind of reining him in some while still being a brother and wanting to protect him. So as a, as a montage to do for a film, it it was it really set the story up nicely and it was well done. I I will say that that's about as far as well done can be applied to this movie. (laughs) Looking back objectively, because you know, this is the second time I've ever watched this movie. I I noticed, and it's hilarious that the movie starts off pretty good and gets progressively worse with each scene. Like it, like if you charted out the quality of each scene, it would be a straight line down. <laughs> like, it's hilarious. Well, by the time it gets to Deadpool at the at the end, it's flatlined. <laughs> so, so it's broken through the bottom of the chart. <laughs> so eventually, they get well, they get killed, but of course, they don't die. So they are putting in jail cell, and then this is where Striker comes along to recruit them for a black op black ops team that basically just goes in and murders everybody kind of thing. Wolverine's had enough. He takes off and then is deceived by Stryker into thinking that he needs to go in for the weapon X program to lace his body with adamantium so that he can finally take down Creed. Who's gone ballistic and is killing everybody kind of thing, including his girlfriend. So he goes in for the, the, the procedure. It's, the the procedure is one of those things where they allude to in the X-Men titles, and that was a lot smarter, kind of alluding to how it's done. Because when... Yeah, don't try to explain it. Yeah, because when they actually show it, and you're like, well, that makes even less sense now. Because... <laughs> <Like, laughs> 
how would it just bond to bone if there's needles and the how come he has it flowing through the bone? Yeah, the diagram lines on him that are marked like in pen that when he comes out of the pool, there's none on him. <laughs> well, there, there were some on him, but what were the lines for? Yeah, really, they were pointless for the actual procedure. The other thing, too, is like they never show it, so you don't know if there's something else, but his bones. The claws in his, when he's got the adamantium, are like paper thin sharp. That's how they're done in all the comics and everything. And yet, they're, the the adamantium is wrapped around circular bone. How did it get flat and sharpened inside of his body? How How did that happen? How does that make sense? Because they make a point of he goes in, he's not had any work done on him. He comes out. Pops the claws and he's screaming like I'm a well man. You go, how'd they get the claws? What the hell? <laughs> Is there a sharpening stone in there somewhere they didn't show us? <laughs> Again, you might not think these are important when you're writing a script, but you got to understand that it's all of these little things that are going to take you out of the movie entirely. So instead of being in it and really invested, you're like questioning everything. Now, if there's anything that takes you out of this movie entirely, it's right after this where he meets Ma and Pa Kent. Yeah. <laughs> no, if anything takes you out, it's the amnesia bullet. <laughs> no, but again, by that point, you're, you've given up hope. But Ma, like, not even like this is literally Ma and Pa Kent finding Baby Clark on the side of the road. It is. It is exactly that. Although they lost a son, so it, whereas the other ones never had it, but it, it's like here's a naked guy in your bar <laughs> that sliced up their <laughs> their sink that they just kind of don't even make a big deal. We've he sliced there. your sink up. <laughs> Come on, and then the just here's here's a jacket. You can have it. It was my son's. No, no, no. I've got kids. Okay, none of them have passed away, but I can tell you if something I had was a cherished item from them and you're just some dude that I met yesterday that crashed in my barn, you're not getting my kid's jacket. (laughs) Not after you wrecked my sink. What you didn't see was the scene in the hallway where their kid looks exactly like Hugh Jackman. yeah. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah, and I love, again, how, again, People, when you're doing these things, continuity is important. He's sitting on the bike when Pocket comes in, gets up at one point to put the jacket on. No problem. When he sits on the, on the bike again, it shrinks down the suspension and says, when it's convenient for a joke, oh, I put on some weight. But he just got up off the bike and it never budged. <laughs> these things are important. <laughs> Watch out for these things when you're doing your movie. <laughs> And then five minutes later, he's riding it down the road. No problem. Not, yeah. not dragging on the ground. Yeah. Wow. Oh, God. So, again, Deadpool is in this hit squad, Black Ops team. So that's when we get introduced to to him. And, and Ryan Reynolds does justifiably do a good job. As much as I despise the character, as we've talked about on the Combo Conformer podcast, when written well, he can be exceptionally good. And one of those things is if he's a part of a team, he is actually phenomenal. So the idea of Deadpool in a team is funny. It can be well done. And Ryan Reynolds can bang out those lines really straight face. And you believe it. I mean, they've been 
hinting at this movie with him forever, and I, I'm very afraid of what they'll do. I don't want an hour and a half of this. Yeah, because they take the character of Deadpool and completely change what he's supposed to be to the point where now they were... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, he's Baraka from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> They, the whole point of the movie was Deadpool. The whole point was to get everybody's powers, which this kills me too. The, the again, Striker has developed a way to now get people's abilities and then put them in other people. Oh, come on, seriously? And then, and, then, and then to try to make Weapon Eleven and put everything in Deadpool, including Cyclops's eye blasts, to the point where at the end when he comes out and. And see, again, this is where sometimes people, when you're writing or directing, an idea might seem cool in your head. Don't put it on paper and certainly don't put it on film, especially if it's giant swords coming out of their hands long enough that while in the arms, the character wouldn't have been able to bend their arms. (laughs) That thing would have reached his throat. (laughs) Okay. And he's got two of them. It's like, oh, seriously. <laughs> so bad. So, so bad. it was bad on so many, so many levels. The whole bit with his girlfriend that wasn't really dead, but she was given a drug so that she'd look dead and poured with somebody else's blood, which apparently his high senses. There was no holes in her. Not just the holes, but the scent of the blood. He's supposed to be able to try. He could smell freaking Wade from miles away, but he can't tell that this is like, you know, pig blood or somebody else's blood or whatever. They they injected her. I'll give you another one since we're pointing out all these hilarious flaws. The base is on an island. It's basically just a nuclear site that's been abandoned. Where did the fire trucks come from? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, how did Magneto get there? Or not Magneto, Xavier. Xavier just shows up at the end. He had a helicopter. How did he know? Perfect time to come and recruit everybody for first class. <laughs> very, very convenient. <laughs> not the least of which, he he picks up Emma Frost. Emma Frost is at the end of this movie. She's it's in her Emma. time. Yes, it is. It's just a completely different character that happens to be very similar. That is credited as Emma Stone in the credits, or Emma, uh, Emma, you you know, Emma Frost in the credits. That's <laughs> okay. Emma. Xavier rescues Emma Frost <laughs> at the end of Wolverine. She, she's, which, she's like Merlin. She ages backwards. Which, yeah, because that takes place in 85. <laughs> meanwhile, she shows up in the 60s as an adult in first class. <sighs> you want to know how bad this movie is? The crappy video game tie-in, which are always awful, was way better than the movie. And that magical jacket that Paul Kent gives him, that he leaves in the plane with Gambit and sends Gambit off on his own. Yeah, he sends Gambit off. Go, I don't need to be rescued. (laughs) And magically reappears in X1. While we're on the subject, (laughs) what's Gambit's power? Because he had five or six over the course of this movie. <laughs> yeah, Gambit was, oh my God. He could play a mean hand of cards. <laughs> Listen, I have always got on record of hating Gambit in the comics. So for them to royally screw him up on screen was just par for the course. For me. Yeah, they 
yeah, there was no reason to have the character in there. Uh, it, it was I'm sure there was. Well, there was action figure sales. Yeah, it was terrible what they did with him. But again, the the worst part is the amnesia bullet. Is literally you have to wonder if the writers put that in there, or if the director needed something. We need something here so he doesn't remember. I got it. <laughs> An adamantium bullet. And meanwhile, the writers are facepalming. No, 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 guys. This will work. Think about it. <laughs> It'll make him forget. <laughs> so, yeah. I. It's the perfect ending to the And you think at some point... Movie. All the the scans he's gone through. Somebody would have picked up the bullet, bullet that's still lodging. rattling around in his skull. Well, they can't see through the adamantium. So, ha ha! See, uh, they, they freaking sure Gavin like they thought about the, that in the first movie. Yeah. All right, let's move on to first class. First class received a, a fairly high score. Actually, Rotten Tomatoes were looking at eighty seven percent. Audience score eighty seven as well. Metacritic, as usual, lower at sixty five percent, with an audience score though at seven point eight. Now, this one was directed by Matthew Vaughn, and this one here had an entirely different cast, with the exception, of course, of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine on screen for all of a couple of seconds. It was supposed to act as a reboot. You, you, you got to think Fox knew. Listen, we've screwed. We've, we've <laughs> There's no redeeming. This. We've pissed in this sandbox too long. And we got to take all the sand out and put some fresh sand in there because this is not going well. But then they introduced Hugh Jackman there, which ties it back to existing continuity and really messes things up then because then it changes how the relationship between Xavier and and Wolverine is at the beginning of X1 because, well, he's already met him. You know, Wolverine would have got because of the magic bullet in his brain, but Xavier wouldn't have. And Maybe he got his own magic brain bullet. Yeah. A so this one happened in 40 years. Here we've got main bad guy in this one is actually Sebastian Shaw, no longer Magneto. Magneto is actually a good guy in this one. So Sebastian Shaw wants to basically cause a nuclear world. This is taking place during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he believes that the radiation won't hurt mutants, but it'll kill everybody else off. And then Charles and Eric are, they essentially form the first X-Men team that fight Shaw to prevent the world war. So... <laughs> I actually, like, the, the, the first time I watched this movie, I went, okay, it was pretty good. Like, a lot of people were ranting and raving that it was the greatest superhero movie ever. Like, I don't see all that. But I thought it was overall pretty decent. Had some high points. Second viewing, I didn't think quite as highly of it. Okay. First and foremost, casting, Kevin Bacon. Really? I, maybe it's because I'm not a huge Kevin Bacon fan to begin with. But Kevin Bacon as Sebastian Shaw never fit for me, ever, at all, period. I was okay with it first time through, but yeah, it really started to bother me on second viewing. It was terrible. And then the character Sebastian Shaw, while important in the comic book, especially with the whole Hellfire Club thing, doesn't translate as well, in my opinion, on screen. Mm -hmm. So... Granted, the power set that he has, which is 
goes with what it is in the comic book. Similar, but similar, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's it, it, well, it's good enough. Good enough that it prevents a reasonable challenge for young Xavier and young Magneto because mm-hmm. Magneto's not yet at his bridge dropping phase of his life. He's still at flipping coins, so kind of believable. But then this is where. And again, it's one of those where you got to think, okay, well, are you hanging on too much to the comic book? And I think that to a certain degree, if they're going, they're trying so hard to stick to comic book things by putting Shaw in and Emma Frost and things like that, then you know what? Then you should follow through with that. I mean, in the first X-Men, Xavier says his first students were Cyclops, Storm, and Jean. Well, it's not... You know, entirely true, comic they book-wise. Students. I mean, with the exception of Storm. The school yeah, they wasn't were. open yet. But, I mean, <laughs> no, here we're finding out, no, first students were freaking Havoc and Beast, which, okay, Beast, yes, but, and, and, and. Uh, Banshee. Banshee, which came later. And, but no, in this one here, Cyclops is still a kid. Even though Cyclops is Havoc's big brother. He's actually younger in this movie than his big brother. And and for a movie universe, I'm willing to let that slide. No, because it, he sees him when he's looking on Cerebro, which means that in the 60s, that when you see him in X-Men in 2000, he'd be in his 50s. <laughs> so I, I must have completely forgotten the part where Alex showed up earlier then. No. What do you mean? I, I'm confused now. Where are we? When, if you look at first class, okay, when and and there's a Alex is in there, and Alex is a teenager. Oh, gotcha. in yeah, this, he, he saw the young Scott, and he saw a young Scott when he used Cerebro. Well, gotcha. I, I missed out on that little blip. He'd be in his fifties in X Men. It doesn't fit with the comic. He also genuity. wouldn't be like a ten year old in 1985. Five, yes, <laughs> I know. So okay. I, I missed out on that. Uh, there, there are, I mean, there are some good things here. I don't like that they brought in all of these other characters. I don't like that they made Mystique Xavier's BFF. That makes no sense at all. And especially the way he treated her, too. Yeah, it's just... was. Re- oh, yeah. I mean, Xavier's a freaking jackass throughout a lot of this. But then, I mean, some of what I hated with... X three was how they had Xavier act. I mean, some of one he's talking to Wolverine. It's like, I don't have to explain myself to anyone, least of all you and that snark. And you go, Whoa, that's really out of character. And you get some of that here too, where it's like, Oh, come on, really? This is how you're going to play this character. That's so iconic to the series. It just didn't fit at all. I found Mm -hmm. now I did like, the relationship between Xavier and Magneto, the early years, they didn't really work together like this. So again, that I saw in the comics, but I was, it, again, it varies from, you know, right. Cont- exactly. Time, yeah. Cause they have to keep updating their origins and yeah, it's, it, it grows a little more complex as more time goes by and world war two gets farther and farther yeah. in the rear view mirror. But yeah, it's, it varies enough that this was fine. Yeah, I was all right with it anyways. And they he did they did a phenomenal job with that throughout the movie of 
Magneto getting more and more um, distancing himself while still having so much respect for Charles. And that's something that you saw in X3, where when Pyro says he would have taken him out, had he just asked and he puts him in his place. Mm -hmm. And so you, you see that that respect is still there. So they did a really good job establishing that relationship so that when you rewatch X one and two, don't watch three, it makes sense. And you're like, wow, yeah, I can really see why Xavier doesn't just, you know, create an aneurysm in his brain and kill him (laughs) because of this friendship and this hope that he has for him. So, and even to the point where, when you get to the end, it's one of the few times where I found display, despite the problems with the script, the killing of Sebastian Shaw made sense Mm -hmm. in how it was written and it was believable and it was, you really felt for the characters and you, you at no point you say, Oh, well, Xavier would have just let go of Shaw. No, he wouldn't have because the let go of Shaw is to continue on this murderous rampage. So you're trading in one evil for another. It's, it was, it was exceptionally well handled. I thought in that regard. Yeah. I, I actually liked a lot of that last little bit between Shaw and Magneto where you really see, you know, those defining moments in, Magneto's life that you know led him to be the man that we see in the earlier movies. Yeah, yeah. Now, this movie, of course, is not without its problems either, <laughs> or its continuity, more so than any other, because it was trying to be a period piece set during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It is so full of inaccuracies; it's unbelievable. They are everywhere, from. CIA headquarters in Langley in 62, which doesn't actually take place until 65. Well, the construction doesn't even start until 65. Picture of Einstein from 47 in Xavier's room in 44. Weapon mix matches, holes in clothes that suddenly disappear, which that was another one from X-Men Origins Wolverine. Or no, from the upcoming that we're going to talk about the Wolverine where he gets shot with all those arrows in the back. And then later on, the shirt has no holes in it. They really need someone with a Polaroid camera like they used to do <laughs> taking pictures before they go to the next scenes. Yeah, and like the, little mistakes happen because movies are never filmed in sequence, but there's a limit. Well, when the sub gets wrecked on the beach at the end and yet Magneto walks through it and nothing's disturbed. <laughs> Everything's fine. And you're going, this thing just got wrecked on the beach. Come on. <laughs> So there's a lot. And then there's the problems with, like we've said, characters like Mystique, this whole friendship, Moir McTarget, McTaggart, who is important in the lore, is a completely different character here. Miniskirt where it come on, seriously. When, when did she be, become like this expert doctor that she grows up into? Yeah, no, she's a CIA agent. Come on. <laughs> that runs out in her underwear to go to the Hellfire Club. So there's parts like that. And then as a fan of the comics, like I'm watching it with the wife and I'm saying, see that red Nightcrawler? Because, yeah, he bangs Mystique and that's where Nightcrawler comes from. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Again, what's my one biggest red flag on any X-Men story? (laughs) Azazel. The presence of Azazel. So, yeah, that made no sense at all. And it was... I know that they tried really hard to make the transition for Mystique make sense going to 
Magneto, but it didn't in my mind at all. Not the least of which, being if anything, when, they tried too hard. Yeah, and then when Xavier is saying go with him, I'm going. He would not. There's just no. It just would not happen. And there were too many moments like that too, where you're again the suspension of disbelief. Forget it. I can't anymore. This doesn't make sense. So uh, uh, of everything, I have two massive problems with this movie. First of all, is Darwin, who is a cool character in the comics because he's. His mutant power is that he can adapt his body to survive anything. So just as he's introduced and showing off how he can adapt, tells Sebastian Shaw, yeah, my power is that I can adapt and survive anything. And then he's killed. Yeah. So stupid. And then secondly, January Jones as Emma Frost (laughs) was painful from beginning to end. Like I've never seen Mad Men, but apparently she's a big star in that show. She is. If she's – where did her acting ability go for this movie? Actually, what they would have needed is the redhead from Mad Men, the one that was also in Firefly. That's Emma Frost. Just give her a blonde wig. It would have worked. <laughs> I mean it, it's just she was terrible. Every she single was. line she delivered was brutal. But then again, that was – Was that really the best take? Whenever you'd see her with Bacon. I'm thinking I hate you both. And then the guy who played as Azel really was stupid. And freaking Cyclone Boy. It was like, oh, come on. I You're making it. I was rooting for some of the bad guys in the X-Men movies with McKellen <laughs> and other guys. Not you people. I can't. You're, you're terrible. Yes. So, yeah. And then you wound up having – and see, this is where – and we'll cover the last Wolverine briefly after this. But by this point, do you – You've seen so many continuity problems. Like, let's look at Xavier. Xavier is paralyzed by Magneto in 62 in first class. Okay, which is, he's got that bullet that goes in his back, which essentially leads to them parting ways. In X3, Last Stand, which takes place in the 70s, he's walking and he's pals with Magneto to go see a young Jean Grey. Plus, the worst, scariest makeup to make them look younger oh god well that was creepy that's like they needed to use some of that jeff bridges tron technology (laughs) that was seriously that was like nightmare worthy and now he's still walking in 85 when he rescues the kids at the end of x-men origins wolverine and even scarier in the wheelchair but no he was walking my brain was so scrambled by that point who knows oh and the, Maybe it's just when I see Xavier, I automatically assume wheelchair. The makeup was even scarier in that one. <laughs> and then X-Men 1, 2000, he's back in the wheelchair. Okay. Then you have Emma Frost, like we said, who is in her, what would you put her, 20s to, I think she'd still be in her 20s. Maybe yeah, early 30s, in 20s. but 20s in the 60s in first class and yet is a teenage child teenager in 85 when she's rescued at the end of X-Men origin Wolverine. And it is her. She's credited as Emma Frost. You have beast who is a regular kid. And that thing with the feet was, Oh my God, that was one of the most painful things for first class for me because I like many people love the character of beast and it was his mutant power is his feet. Oh, my God. 
See, and that's the thing. Like in the comics, you know, Beast was much more beastly. I mean, even before yeah. he became all blue, like he was an awkwardly shaped human being. So I can understand how he would be so self-conscious about his appearance. Why, why was movie Beast so upset that his feet were weird looking? <laughs> yeah, because they took away like Beast was just this massive like he was a you know 60s version of a bodybuilder now kind of thing just this massive guy who was just a had all of his agility and, and intellect and everything else and then later on turned fur but i mean here it's he's got feet well anyway so he's a regular kid that then turns into the beast and this is in the 60s in x2 he's an adult or a, a regular human human looking adult with no fur and then for last stand he's back to fraser crane furball <laughs> wow summer's brothers we just talked about how it say makes absolutely summer's uncle like <laughs> wow <laughs> who knows at this point <laughs> and then we've got sabertooth which not only are they completely different characters but also why doesn't he remember it, it, you know Logan can't remember Sabretooth because of the amnesia bullet. What's Sabretooth's excuse? And then you have Cerebro, which in X1, Magneto says Wolverine, or says uh, uh, Magneto belt. So then in first class, you find out that, no, Beast built it. It was built before Xavier even got there. Well, seriously? Magneto's helmet... (laughs) That Xavier said he built, he made to block him out. He didn't even know what was blocking him out initially. Meanwhile, first class, no, he stole it from Sebastian Shaw. You already knew that, you idiot. The whole mystique thing with being childhood friends, but then trying to murder him later. And then the the thing with the first class students. And then Deadpool. (laughs) I keep going back to Deadpool. (laughs) There are so many continuity problems and that is actually one of the things that has me most scared for days of future past it's not the story because i have faith in the story it's these problems that are going to take me out of the story that's my biggest hope for days of future past is they change the timeline so that nothing matters wouldn't that be awesome and they can officially start over without these continuity issues it'd be like the star trek Reboot. Exactly. Dude, I didn't even think of that. It's a different that. dimension. It doesn't wow. matter. Wouldn't that be freaking awesome? People would be that's, in an that's uproar. That's their only hope. Because if they're doing I, a time travel story on top of the mess they've already created, <laughs> the only possible outcome is a new timeline. That would be awesome. I'd be all for it. Okay, let's talk about the Wolverine lastly. Rotten Tomato score 69%, audience score 70 Metacritic at 60 and audience score at 6.8. I would have put this one lower myself, but that's just me. This one's directed by James Mangold. This is the story that's based on the very, very popular Chris Claremont, Frank Miller miniseries that ran in the eighties. Uh, we've talked about this also on comic book and forum podcast. If I can easily find it in our archives, <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes. I would actually strongly recommend folks um, listen to the episode. And then from there, maybe watch the show. It'll give you a new insight into what should have been happening here. And this is Logan is returning to Japan. He has a history in Japan and whatnot, not the least of which being the bombing of Nagasaka. And 
he is under the impression that he's going to be seeing an old friend, the one that he saved during that bombing, which that in and of itself makes little to no sense. But anyways, we're all with it. But you find out later that the old man actually wants to cure him, he states, but it's to steal his healing factor so that he himself can remain alive. That is pretty flimsy. And there's no excuses I can make for it. Based on the crazy crap we've seen over the past five movies, this one makes perfect sense. In comparison. I mean, it, it, it had some, some good moments, of course. It, there was some stuff in it that was cool to see. Certainly some of the action sequences were, were really impressive. Any Wolverine versus ninjas, it's going to be cool. You know, you're going to have some cool fights. There were not nearly enough dead ninjas in this movie. (laughs) Those those bastards bounce back. High dead ninja expectation. (laughs) Them some resilient ninjas, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, And then this is like they are doing in current continuity in the comic books. They're messing with his healing power. So this is one where he loses it for a while. And so every time he's popping his claws, it's, it's supposed to hurt. But of course, whenever he pops his claws, there's no blood or wounds. He's got bullet holes in him and stitches and everything. But his claws apparently don't hurt. Even without his healing factor, he was he was doing pretty good for a guy that had that many holes in him. <laughs> I love how he got shot in the left shoulder, but he was stitched up in the right. <laughs> So here you have, again, some um, what I believe the directors and writers must have thought would make great cinematic scenes, but the logistics of it make you kind of groan. Again, him being shot by hundreds of arrows with strings. (laughs) I'm certain somebody thought, wow, this will look cool on screen. Okay, maybe it looks cool. But the viewer, the audience is going to be going, oh, come on. (laughs) Exactly. Like the first two or three, I'm like, okay. After that, it became comical. Yeah. So for every part that is enjoyable, such as the relationship between Logan and Mariko, which is important in the Wolverine canon, those parts were enjoyable, having them walking together and things like that, and and him seeing the hole where he held out during the bombing and, and different things. You're going like, okay, these are, these are important moments. But then it gets broken apart by ridiculous scenes that with, with stereotypical Japanese villains that you're like, Oh, come on. You could have done so much better with this. Uh, they didn't even have to try to do better. Just put them in a hood and they're throwaway ninjas for Wolverine to kill. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's one thing I wanted out of this movie <laughs> and the whole samurai bit was again, I know that they needed it as a device to put the old man in so that it kind of, you know, fits the cliche of what they were attempting to do. But it just, whenever you're watching it, it's like, oh, you could have left that entire bit out, just completely out and work with everything else. And you would have still had enough to go with. It just complicated matters and made it stupid instead of being something that would be cool kind of thing. See, and that's, that's like the big thing with this movie. Like, I don't want to say it was bad, but no, the biggest was. thing was like it felt about 20 or 30 minutes too long. Like by the time the silver samurai is swinging his sword around, like I was just bored. Like I was ready for the movie to be over. Yeah. Like, yeah actually, I was, like, it, it, it was too there. There had to be something they could have trimmed up somewhere. And it, it was just 
it was too much movie. It, what's funny is that I think there, I think there was a good movie in there. I think that they could have worked with the script, changed up a bunch of different things, but worked with what they had and still come out with something that was good. In fact, maybe even like on par with X-Men one and two kind of thing that could have been really See, good. And here's the thing. It's still way better than the first Wolverine. Oh God. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a, that sliding <laughs> so it, curve. It's is, one of those things where, you know, if you're a casual viewer and not watching them, you know, back to back for a podcast and you just have these terrible memories of the first Wolverine movie. And then you see this one, like you just trick yourself into going, that was pretty good. Yeah. But again, you're grading on a curve. And that's not a crave anymore. That's a vertical line. I I had those terrible (laughs) memories of X-Men 3 and I saw first class. I was like, oh, that was pretty good. But then you you step back and look at it objectively and the flaws are a little more glaring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was doing with all of them. Having seen them all, some of them several times, I was able to just, you know, I'm I'm not watching now to sit down and just immerse myself in it and enjoy it. Part of that happens as you're watching anyways. But no, I'm watching to study it and kind of get a grip on it and at that point it's so easy to tear apart some of these movies and scenes and this one is no exception but again it's it's like i said i think there the potential was there for a very good script obviously if you look at the mini series the potential is obviously there for a really good story they could have done it but instead they they veered so far left and then never looked back and then decided to just let's just throw in whatever we think might be cool to just complicate it and make it big. And that typically will make a movie fail. See, and this is one of those things where I really want to know how this movie would have turned out if Darren Aronofsky had directed it. Because he was the the director for this movie, like up and basically right up until it started filming, and then he realized he didn't want to spend a year in Japan and quit. Yeah, but if the script was already solidified, it wouldn't have mattered all that much. There's, well, I'm still curious though. Like, I don't know how much would have changed without Aronofsky. Well, I, I mean, when you look at the direction in terms of action sequences, and, and yeah, there's big problems. There's holes in this, the size of the Japanese bullet trains, but some of the directing is still fairly good in terms of the cinematography and different things mm-hmm. with the script solidified actors already chosen and cast and everything else. Uh, I don't know that there, it would have been that much of a different movie. So I think that the problem is, is that they needed new writers, different writers from the friggin' get go to make this work. When they were uh, reading the script, true. it would have been, uh, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> Can't give me somebody else. So I'm wondering if maybe he just used the whole I don't want to be out of the country excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and we went, wait, there's there's nothing I can do to salvage this. I need to come up with a good answer. <laughs> yeah. So that is all of them. We're going to call it a wrap at that. Make sure to check out the show notes at popcornronin.com. Leave us your thoughts on the movies. Which one did you like, didn't like? We'll go from there. Like I said, on the next episode, we are going to be doing Days of Future Past. Very much looking forward to this with a certain amount of trepidation. But I'm still excited. It'll be fun. And we will record our thoughts immediately upon seeing it. So if you have any plans on seeing it, watch it early so that you can actually listen to the episode as well and not have to worry about spoilers. And with that, we'll talk to you next episode.
TV and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their comic book informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.